Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Tonight, the never-before-seen video of medics trying to revive George Floyd as the jury in Derek Chauvin's trial hears emotional testimony from Floyd's girlfriend of three years. The shocking new images tonight from inside the ambulance as paramedics tried to save Floyd's life. But one EMT said it was too late when they arrived on the scene. In lay terms, I thought he was dead. Plus, Floyd's girlfriend shares their struggle with opioid addiction. Office massacre. Chilling details of a shooting outside of Los Angeles that left four dead, including a nine-year-old boy. Vaccine mix-up. Was it human error that spoiled 15 million Johnson & Johnson doses? Long-term protection. Good news tonight from Pfizer about its vaccine. Easter guidelines. How the CDC says Americans should celebrate the holiday with fears of a fourth wave brewing. Border crisis apprehensions up 50%. We'll take you to a small town in Arizona where Border Patrol drops off dozens of asylum seekers. President Biden's first cabinet meeting. Our exclusive interview tonight with Interior Secretary Deb Hallin, the first Native American cabinet secretary in U.S. history. Opening day in the snow, baseball's back, and by the looks of it, so is winter. A Girl Scout record. Guess how many cookies this eight-year-old sold. It's pretty impressive. And the COVID journals, recording memories through a year of pain, sorrow, and hope. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We're going to begin tonight with dramatic video from inside the ambulance as paramedics struggled to revive George Floyd last year. 
The footage, some of which had never been seen publicly, was shown during a day of gripping testimony in the murder trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. The 19-year police veteran is charged with killing Floyd by kneeling on his neck for nine and a half minutes. And in court, paramedics described arriving on the scene last Memorial Day to find Floyd unresponsive and apparently dead. One first responder telling jurors today that Floyd later flatlined inside the ambulance, even after he shocked Floyd's heart, saying he was trying to give the 46-year-old a second chance at life. And in a surprise move, prosecutors also called Floyd's distraught girlfriend to the stand in an apparent attempt to blunt a key defense argument. And we've got some news tonight about a star witness now expected to testify tomorrow. CBS's Jamie Ucas is following the trial and is going to lead off our coverage tonight again from Minneapolis. Good evening, Jamie. Good evening, Nora. Late today, stunning testimony from Chauvin's prior supervisor. Sergeant Dave Pluger says he has known the former officer since 2008 and that Chauvin did not initially tell him about restraining Floyd with his knee or for how long. He then testified late today that Chauvin should have stopped using force after Floyd was handcuffed and on the ground. Dramatic, never-before-seen video of the ambulance team arriving to save George Floyd's life. Paramedic Seth Bravendier says the first thing he saw was multiple officers still on top of Floyd. Uh, from what I could see where I was at, I didn't, I didn't see any breathing or movement or anything like that. Bravendier makes a hand gesture at Officer Derek Chauvin, telling him to move as his partner, paramedic Derek Smith, checked Floyd's pulse. What did his condition appear to be to you overall? In lay terms, I thought he was dead. Smith says he wanted to move Floyd to a different location to get away from the crowd. There was multiple cell phones out. Uh, there was elevated tones used. The prosecution showed these disturbing images inside the ambulance as emergency responders worked frantically to resuscitate Floyd. They say the cardiac monitor showed Floyd had flatlined. At any point, did he regenerate a pulse or um, you know, come to? Was he revived? No. And today, jurors learned about George Floyd, the man, from the woman who loved him. Floyd's girlfriend, Courtney Ross, says they first met at a shelter where he had worked. She was there to talk to her son's father and was visibly distressed when Floyd approached her. He said, um, well, can I pray with you? It was so sweet. <laughs> she says Floyd worked out every day and loved food. But she says he was devastated after his mother's death in 2018. He also struggled with drugs. Floyd and I uh, both suffered with an opioid addiction. It's a classic story of uh, how many people get addicted to opioids. We both suffered from chronic pain. Mine was in my neck and his was in his back. Ross testified that Floyd had bought drugs from Maury's Hall, the person sitting in the passenger seat of Floyd's SUV on the day of the police encounter. He's refused to testify, citing his Fifth Amendment right. Tomorrow, prosecutors are expected to use the Minneapolis police chief to make their case against his own former officer. He fired Chauvin days after George Floyd died, and all eyes will be on the answer to one question. In his opinion, did Derek Chauvin use excessive force when his knee was on George Floyd's neck? Nora. 
We'll all be watching. Jamie Yukis, thank you. Well, tonight, alarming evidence. The U.S. is entering a fourth surge of COVID. More than 40 percent of all counties are now in the red zone with cases spreading rapidly. We're also learning more about a setback for one of the vaccines. Here's CBS's Manuel Bohorkas. Tonight, mix-up mess. Officials are trying to contain the fallout after a production mishap at this Baltimore plant spoiled 15 million doses of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. It was human error. The FDA is investigating. This is not related in any way to any of the J&J doses that people have already gotten. There's better news about the Pfizer vaccine. The company says its ongoing study shows it's more than 90 percent effective for at least six months after the second dose. I would not be surprised at all if Moderna and other companies that did the same thing would get similar results. But tonight, despite more shots going into arms, there's fear of a fourth wave, with cases rising in at least 26 states. The nationwide spikes are possibly driven by more contagious variants, like the B117 first detected in the UK. Florida is reporting the highest number of variant cases. It's very distressing that there's such a high incidence right now, considering how well we're doing with getting people vaccinated. The concern comes as another holiday weekend approaches. The CDC is urging those celebrating Easter and Passover to limit interactions. Some businesses looking to return to normal are considering so-called vaccine passports to verify vaccination status as one form of admission to events like the upcoming South Beach Wine and Food Festival. Why did you decide that was the best route? I felt that I was responsible for doing everything that we could do to be the first event back and the safest event back. But some oppose the idea, like Florida's governor, who's vowed to permanently ban them. And on baseball's opening day, the president is calling the Texas Rangers' decision to open their stadium to full capacity a mistake. They should listen to Dr. Fauci and the scientists. As the Mets-Nationals game was postponed after at least three Nats players reportedly tested positive. And tonight, basketball is rebounding. The Miami Heat will be the first team nationwide to have a section dedicated to vaccinated fans only. Masks will still be required, but social distancing guidelines will be relaxed. Nora? Fascinating to see you got to bring your vaccination card with you. Manny Bohorquez, thank you. And now to a deadly mass shooting in Orange, California. Police tonight are zeroing in on a motive after a gunman killed four people, including a nine-year-old. CBS's Omar Villafranca reports tonight from the scene of the massacre. This is the man police say shot and killed a nine-year-old boy and three adults in a shooting rampage just five miles from Disneyland. We have a shot fired. Detectives say 44-year-old Aminadab Gaxiola Gonzalez started shooting, targeting people he knew. Trying to slow down first responders from saving the victims, he chained the gates to the business with bicycle locks. Police and SWAT team rushing to the scene, breaking through the locks. In the meantime, horrific rampage was going on in offices and people were dying or were being shot. Inside, two women and a man, all dead. Outside, the nine-year-old boy who was killed found in the arms of a woman believed to be his mother. It is believed that there was one of the women victims who was embracing that child apparently after he was shot. Tonight, that woman also shot in critical condition, as is Gaxiola Gonzalez. 
Police say they arrived here on the scene less than two minutes before the first nine after the first 911 call. Investigators say that the suspect used a gun. They also found a backpack, and in that backpack they found pepper spray, handcuffs, and more ammunition. Nora. Well, Marvia Franca, thank you. Tonight, a shocking number from the crisis at the southern border. CBS News has learned 150,000 migrants were likely apprehended in March. That's 50 percent more than in February. Among those allowed to stay, hundreds have been dumped in a small desert town in Arizona, hours from the nearest shelter. CBS's Lilia Luciano follows their journey. In the tiny town of Ajo, in the middle of the Arizona desert, Border Patrol comes by every day and drops off dozens of asylum seekers after they've been processed. They're left to find their way. This isn't a local decision. Aaron Cooper says the town doesn't have the resources needed. So the county has to drive asylum seekers two and a half hours to the nearest shelter in Tucson. So when we went from one drop a day to oftentimes two drops a day, very quickly we had volunteer burnout. And it turned from a, I'm willing to come and pitch in for a few hours, to this is a full-time job. The volunteers also give them food and a COVID test. In the last week and a half, nearly 300 asylum seekers have arrived in this town of about 4,000. Were you guys even ready for this? This is not the first time we've had to come together as a community to solve a unique problem that hit suddenly. Data obtained by CBS News shows that in March, CBP apprehended an average of 5,000 people a day. We met this mother of two from Venezuela at Tucson's Casa Alita's shelter. She says she was separated from her adult son 11 days ago. They don't want their faces shown in case it jeopardizes his release. The family had never been separated before. You got to this country, a country of freedoms, and now you've been separated. Today, there was one family reunion. These asylum seekers from Cuba had been apart for two weeks. Now they can take their next steps towards asylum together. We've seen busloads of asylum seekers arriving here at Casalitas, but these families are the exception. 90% of people who are apprehended at the border by Border Patrol are being expelled to Mexico. And even for these families, asylum, Nora, is not guaranteed. Lilia Luciana, thank you. Well, tonight, President Biden has given five cabinet secretaries a big task, boosting support for his $2 trillion infrastructure plan. The full cabinet met for the first time today, 71 days into his presidency. CBS's Nancy Cordes reports from the White House. Yesterday, in, uh, President Biden held his first in-person meeting with his cabinet today, socially distanced due to the pandemic. He appointed five of them, including the secretaries of Commerce, Energy and Transportation, to sell his new infrastructure plan. These cabinet members will represent me in dealing with Congress, engage the public in selling the plan, and help work out the details as we uh, refine it and move forward. In an interview with ESPN, the president said he would support moving Major League Baseball's all-star game out of Atlanta after Georgia passed a controversial new voting law. This is Jim Crow on steroids, what they're doing in in Georgia. Two major Georgia-based companies, Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines, are now taking the same stance, arguing the Republican law was based on a lie and will restrict voting rights. Delta CEO Ed Bastian spoke to CBS this morning. 
the, the right to vote is sacrosanct, and we can't do anything to send a message to people that we're going to make it more restrictive and harder to have their voice heard. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp accused those companies of caving to public pressure. I think the people are standing up and realizing the games that are being played here, and they're going to be fighting back with us. Major League Baseball officials still haven't decided whether to move the All-Star game out of Atlanta. But President Biden is keeping the issue front and center as he works, Nora, to discourage other states from passing similar voting legislation. All right, Nancy Cordes of the White House, thank you. And that cabinet meeting today showcased the most diverse cabinet in history, including the first ever Native American to become a cabinet secretary. We spoke to Secretary Deb Holland at the Museum of the American Indian in Washington. In her first TV interview as Secretary of the Interior, she told us what she said to the president when he offered her the job. What I remember saying to him was, you you don't know what this means to Indian country. It's significant. It's historical. It's meaningful. And I think um, we're all indebted to him especially meaningful considering the department's past. The Interior Department's job was to either assimilate or exterminate Native Americans. Today, the department oversees roughly one-fifth of all the nation's land. That includes 574 federally recognized tribes and Secretary Holland's own, the Laguna Pueblo of New Mexico. I think a lot of Native Americans have felt powerless, and so often it's been easy to take land away, to, uh, you know, to, to drill and mine in, in sacred places. She's pledged to transform the department to confront climate change, raising fears within the oil and gas industry that she says are unfounded. The fossil fuel industry will continue for years to come. Are you saying there will be no permanent ban on oil and gas drilling on federal lands? There, uh, there is not a permanent ban. It was a pause on new gas and oil leases, Uh, because, rightly so, the program needed to be reviewed. So the existing gas and oil leases have continued. What are your plans, your goals, as you lead the Interior Department? One issue that I've been passionate about for a long time, missing and murdered Indigenous women. That's a, a crisis that's been happening since Europeans came to this continent 500 years ago. And I'm really um, excited to announce that um, at the Department of Interior, we will have a missing and murdered unit um, that will focus specifically on this crisis and make sure that families can have some answers. American Indian and Alaska Native women are killed at a rate 10 times higher than the national average. There are a lot of cases um, that are unsolved, and, um, and those are the ones that we need to solve. And her historic appointment promises to be watched very closely. April roared in with the blast of wintry weather. More than a dozen vehicles crashed on Interstate 90 in northern Ohio. No serious injuries. In Detroit, Miguel Cabrera hit the first home run of the baseball season but lost sight of the ball in the snow and mistakenly slid into second base. All right, tonight, eight-year-old Lily Bumpus of California has shattered the Girl Scout cookie sales record, selling more than 32,000 boxes, 6,000 more than the old record. She's now sending boxes to homeless shelters and children's hospitals. Lily was once a patient herself, having survived cancer. 
There really is no single story that can describe the coronavirus pandemic. You could say it's best told in the millions of individual experiences. Here's CBS's Chip Reed. I feel a quiet, creeping insanity as I scroll from post to post. Christine Deng has kept a journal documenting her feelings during the pandemic, which took the life of her grandmother. Writing and journaling for me has always been a way to survive. Deng is one of 1,400 women participating in Women Writing History, a coronavirus journaling project for the National Women's History Museum in Alexandria, Virginia. Many share their frustrations, even anger. A doctor warns Mr. COVID to back off from one of her patients, but later that day writes, Mr. COVID, I just learned that you had no ears to listen and no heart. You just took her. One woman shared poignant photographs of life in isolation. Some turned their journals into works of art. Breast cancer survivor Diane Sanchez writes that her journal brings peace of mind. Grocery store worker Taylor Sampson cried tears of joy after getting vaccinated. And Lara Tenbarge says she felt empowered and capable after giving birth to baby Nora while wearing a mask. Women sharing their sorrows and joys in the age of COVID. Chip Reed, CBS News, Washington. Tomorrow, it's on the road with Americans of many faiths celebrating a new season of hope. And that's tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell in the nation's capital. Good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. If you enjoy tuning in to the CBS Evening News, there are official t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more available for purchase at ParamountShop.com. These products are perfect for any fan of Evening News, and you can take 20% off with code EVENING20. That's 20% off all CBS Evening News products with code EVENING20 at ParamountShop.com.